This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPV Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. School is starting back, and in preparation for that, a lot of kids are going to get their checkups and getting their back-to-school vaccines. And so today, we have Dr. Feldman on with us, and he is going to be helping us talk about our back-to-school vaccines. You can always send us an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Dr. Feldman. Thanks uh, for coming on today. Morning. It's nice to be here. Yeah. I always look forward to it. Yes. Uh, one thing I want to say is, the vaccines required for school are unchanged. It's the same we've been doing for many and many years. So there's really nothing new in terms of which vaccines the kids are required to go back to school. And be it elementary school, be it uh, seventh grade, or even being uh, even daycare. It's still all the same that's been going on for years. So there's nothing new. Which is nice. Yes, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. If you have kids in school, what they got two years ago, three years ago, whenever, it's the same thing they're going to need now. Right, right. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit, you know, flu shots are just around the corner. Right. And so we'll mention that at the end. But for now, we'll just focus on, like, the main shots that we have to get uh, for our kids. And so I always like to go over the schedule, and um, especially when my parents come in for their kids' checkups at their two-week visit. One question they always have is, well, are they not getting shots today? Um, so I always try to explain when you're planning to get your shots. So typically we start shots anywhere between six to eight weeks of life. Um, you can start them as early as six weeks, um, but typically we do it around eight weeks. Um, but at some, with some parents, you know, mom's going back to work, you know, if they only have a six to eight week maternity leave, they like to go in and get their shots before their child has to go to daycare. So, so we can do them as early as six weeks, um, but typically it's somewhere around eight weeks that we, we do the vaccine first set. So we do them at two months, at four months, at six months have a little booty break, usually give around 12 months, 15 months, and then 18 months. Um, And sometimes the 12 and 15 months, people combine together. Everybody's schedule is a little different, but we, uh, at my clinic, we usually space them out so they're not getting so many shots at one time. Um, And so we'll do three shots at 12 months and three shots at 15 months. Um, and then after that, you get a little bit of a break, and not again until four or five years old, and then again, usually another break until 11 years old. Um, and that, again, doesn't count the flu shots every year, which we do recommend. But those are that's kind of our shot schedule, I guess we would say, um, when it comes to what our kids are going to get. So now we'll talk about which shots you're getting at those, if you want to kind of delve into some of those vaccines. Yeah, I want to talk about the school requirement vaccines because there are vaccines that your child gets which are not required for school. For example, the pneumococcal vaccine. 
And the pneumococcal organism, that's what causes meningitis or brain infections. It causes pneumonia. It causes ear infections. Again, it's not a school requirement, but that's part of your routine schedule. Another one is the Haemophilus influenza B. And that caused a lot of meningitis. And in fact, when that vaccine came out, it basically eliminated meningitis in the state of Mississippi in children. Occasionally, we still get cases. But for the most part, that HIB, what's called HIB, H-I-B vaccine, um, is a great vaccine. But it's not required for school. The vaccines that are required for school are the diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. And that's been going on. That vaccine has existed since the 1940s. Uh, polio vaccine required for school. Hepatitis B. Now, remember that in this state, almost all the newborns get their first dose of hepatitis B, which means they only need two more. It's a three-dose series. But that's a school requirement. Um, measles, mumps, and rubella, another school requirement vaccine and chickenpox vaccine. And actually, we've done pretty, we haven't had a case of measles in this state in almost since the 1990s. And let's hope it stays that way as things begin to change around the state. But again, we haven't had any measles. We haven't had any German measles. Occasionally, we do see mumps. Um, chickenpox, again, we've almost completely eliminated. It's rare that anybody sees a case of chickenpox. And these vaccines are required for school. And if you have the routine schedule that your doc usually does, and all the docs do the same, that little variations, you will have a, the right number of vaccines. For example, you need five diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis vaccines at school entry. Well, what happens when you get to the fourth year of life? You may be going into pre-K or maybe you're not going in. But between four and six years of life, you need another diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis vaccine. You need your last polio vaccine. And you need your measles and mumps rubella. You need two of those uh, and chickenpox vaccines to get into school. Hepatitis, you give that in the first year of life. So that's not a problem when it comes to going to school entry. And those are the same vaccines we've been doing for years. So if your child gets their routine immunizations from their provider, pediatricians, family practitioners, nurse practitioners, etc., they're going to be up to date. As long as they're up to date, they'll be fine for school entry. All right. And so to have all of the, these documented, so typically what we do is every time we give the vaccines in our clinic, there is a database that you can load it up to to the health department's website. Um, so it, every clinic hopefully does this, and that way it's all in one centralized place. And so before you go to school, what you need to do is you need to get the vaccination form, which is called the 121 form. You've probably heard of that. Um, and you can call your pediatrician's office We've goodness, we've been printing those off left and right, um, having phone calls for these um, as everybody's getting ready for school. So you can get those. Um, actually, can you still print those off yourself? I think. Yeah, I think you can. Uh huh. Yes. They changed that like the, within the past year or two. Um, you can actually go onto the health department's website and print your own off, or you can call your pediatrician's office and they should be able to do it. And that's the nice thing of having one centralized place is if you have gotten 
your vaccines at other locations. So maybe you got some at the health department or maybe you moved and you changed clinics and doctors. Um, Everybody should be putting them into this one database. So that makes it a lot easier when you're trying to get records. Um, Plus, it makes it easy if you change schools. Right. Don't forget your school is going to have a record of what you received. But you go to a new school, you got to get the record. Well, it's in that system, that statewide system, which makes it really easy to go ahead and find out what your child's had and just pass it on to the new school. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) we talked about all of the different types of vaccines that you're going to be able to get um, before kindergarten and for daycare. But I think it'd be nice to kind of talk about Um, just a reminder of what some of these are actually protecting against, um, you know, because I feel like we kind of lose sight of that because we haven't seen a lot of this in so long. Um, So, you know, the first one you mentioned is the tetanus and pertussis and diphtheria. Um, So can you break that one down a little bit? Because it it is pertinent because we'll kind of go back to, I know we're focusing more on kids' vaccines right now, um, but adults, you need a dose of Tdap as well, and we'll talk about that. But if you could kind of break down, let's start with the Tdap vaccine. Yeah, let's talk about tetanus. I mean, tetanus you basically get from an injury. And it doesn't matter what age you are, you can get tetanus. It's in the soil and it's in all over the place. Um, rotten stuff, wood, I mean, you just name it. And you need the vaccine against that. Because you'll never know you got tetanus until you get it. And the reason you don't get tetanus for the most part is either you're never exposed, but if you're a big woods person working out in the farm and the yard and all this kind of stuff, you're exposed to tetanus and you have the vaccine. That's why basically we rarely see tetanus in this country. Again, most people don't get exposed, but those that do get exposed, they've been vaccinated. We've been giving the tetanus vaccine since, like I said, the 1940s. Diphtheria which is a throat infection. And when you get diphtheria, you've got a big-time problem of trying to breathe. That throat gets so swollen, and there's almost no way to do anything about it. Literally, you have to go in and punch a hole in the neck to get to the windpipe to see if you can have them breathe until you can treat the diphtheria. We don't see very much in this country. But if you go to some of these third world countries in Southeast Asia and Africa and places like that, they see diphtheria. They still have kids dying from diphtheria. And why? Because they don't get the vaccine. Some of these countries still don't vaccinate. Whooping cough or pertussis, that's still around. And we see whooping cough actually fairly, not frequently, but it's around. If I was to get whooping cough, I would just cough. Nobody would know the difference. (laughs) Each old man's got a cough. End of story. Because it tends to be mild in older people and adults, but you get it in kids who haven't had the whooping cough vaccine, they got a big time breathing. Because, again, they're whooping. I mean, it's just that whooping sound. So that's still around, and we still need the vaccines, and that's why we give one in seventh grade to give them a boost against particularly whooping cough. And then sometimes during adults, pregnant women and some other people have to get it because the whooping cough is still around and you can get it. Um, Polio, we'd like to think we've eliminated polio from the world, but we haven't. And with all this stuff going on in some of these different countries, um, we're seeing cases of polio. Um, Not in this country, 
we've seen one or two cases in this country recently, and it was somebody who was unvaccinated. They just didn't want to get vaccinated. They were an adult, and they got polio. Mm. Well, if you get polio and you get really a full-blown case, you're on a ventilator breathing for years. I remember when I was in training back in the 60s, and they had in, in New York this particular ward with kids. They had 30 or 40 kids living in ventilators, mm. those big kind of things that you see, because they got polio, and there was nothing you could do about it. So if you get polio and you get the paralytic polio, you're in big-time trouble. And again, we rarely ever see it in this country. We either see it in somebody's unvaccinated or occasionally somebody comes from a foreign country. Although you're required, I believe, in this country, you have if you come from another country, you have to have evidence that you've had the polio vaccine. Oh, I, don't know. I, I think so. Where some other vaccines, hepatitis B, um, that shoots your liver, and once your liver is shot, you're in big time trouble. But with this hepatitis B vaccine, we've decreased liver disease. Uh, a lot. And that's why we give it to young kids because you can pick it up as a youngster and it gets, gets around in a lot of different ways. And it may be years that you have the infection, don't even know it before your liver gets in trouble. Measles, mumps, and rubella, measles everybody knows about. Uh, occasionally we see in this country, knock on wood, we haven't had since 1992 in Mississippi. So we've been measles free now out. We're going over 30 years. Uh, rubella, which is the old German measles. Actually, not a big deal. If you got German measles or I got it, no big deal. Where it's a big-time problem is if a pregnant woman gets German measles, then that baby is in trouble and is in big-time trouble. It may even die before it's born, and when it's born, it's got multiple birth defects that you can't cure. And mumps, which is swelling in the glands around the neck, uh, we still see that occasionally, um, but if you've had the mumps vaccines, eh, if you get mumps, and even if you had the vaccine, which can happen, it's mild. The measles vaccine, by the way, is over 99% protective. So if you've had the full series of measles vaccines, you have 99% chance of being protected. Uh, now, if you get cancer and stuff like that, well, that's a different story. But if you're otherwise healthy, that's a great vaccine. Yeah, so that's kind of a breakdown. I thought it would be nice to just kind of go over what they actually protect against. Because, it's kind of, you know, we kind of get a little jaded because right. we haven't seen it in so long. Um, now, when I was in training, I saw a few cases of pertussis, and it is the, the whooping cough. And right. it's, it's pretty terrible to watch those little babies. Um, and the thing about the pertussis is uh, – you know, it's you don't really think much about it because, like he said, you know, as adults, we don't really have that many problems with it. But these little babies, they have such a hard time, um, and it is just it is awful to watch. So, unfortunately, they usually get it from somebody like right. their parents or their grandparents who have been visiting. Um, and so that kind of leads me into the Tdap. I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned this as well. So he mentioned that pregnant women get the Tdap uh, because we always give it, and you get it in subsequent pregnancies too. So just because you had it in your first pregnancy, uh, we still recommend the mom to get it in their even in their next couple pregnancies uh, because it has some. Um, 
what I guess the passive immunity yeah, is that well, the term? Yeah, what happens is the baby gets protected from whooping cough before they can get their own shots. Right. So for that first two, three months of life, you're protecting the baby. And the baby who gets whooping cough, you know, at two months of age, that's a big-time problem. You know, one of the things they say is when whooping cough is circulating and doesn't circulate very often is to make sure that when you're uh, – you have a family and your grandparents are coming to visit – and then you've got a young baby in the house to make sure that the grandparents right. got their Tdap vaccine so that they don't give the baby the whooping cough. Because they would never know that they've got it themselves, but they could surely give it to the baby. And again, giving it to pregnant women protects the baby until they start to get their own shots. Yeah, because the antibodies that you make pass through the right. placenta to the baby. So that's how they're already vaccinated. So like even me, who um, my babies are only 14 months apart, <laughs> and I had to get it in both pregnancy so like back to back um so just make sure you know you know that and then he mentioned a good point too so if you are becoming a new grandparent or maybe a new aunt uncle um that you're somebody close to you is having a baby or you're becoming a parent maybe you're the father um you need to go get your tdap vaccine too because we recommend you getting a tetanus vaccine every 10 years um, as adults. So usually you get your last tetanus shot around age 11. So starting around age 21 or so, you have to start thinking about getting revaccinated with the tetanus. And we want at least one of your boosters for your tetanus to be the Tdap. Right. Um, so if you have never had that, you may want to talk to your doctor about that. Or you can just go to your pharmacy. It's a standard Vaccine, right. So you can go to your Walgreens, CVS, Kroger, um, local pharmacy, wherever it is, and they should be able to just give you the Tdap vaccine. And I definitely, definitely recommend that. Um, so, yeah, so the Tdap vaccine is one that we do continue into adulthood um, at least one time. Like I said, you don't have to every time you get your tetanus every 10 years. It doesn't have to be Tdap, right. but at least just one of those. Um, you want to make sure that you're having that one. Uh, something to keep in mind with the Tdap in the seventh grade, there are two other vaccines that go along with this. They're not school requirements, so they're optional, and you can get them if you want. And one is the HPV, human papilloma virus. Human papilloma virus infections are very common. If you took everybody who's listening to this room and tested their blood, they have had human papilloma virus. And again, probably everybody listening, none of them have had cancer from it. But it does cause cancer. And we're talking about 40,000 cases of cancer per year due to the human papillomavirus, all of which is preventable. And it's been shown very nicely if you give it by the seventh grade, and now we even give it at age, nine years of age, if, if parents want it. You protect that person basically for life against a certain form of cancers, one of which in women, of course, is cervical cancer, which everybody knows about, and the other, which is becoming more common without a great explanation, is cancer of the mouth mm. and the lips and the buccal mucosa inside the mouth, and it's becoming actually more common in cervical cancer. If so, if you give your adolescent, be it nine years of age or be it when they go into the seventh grade, which like Max is 12 years of age, um, it's a good time to give it to them because you're protecting them basically for the rest of their life. 
because we have good studies showing now at least 20 years out and probably longer. And most people who are going to get cancers from papillomavirus are going to get it in their late 30s and early 40s. And we know from studies giving it at this young age, we're 20 years, 30 years down the line in some of the studies, they're well protected. So it's a safe vaccine and it protects you against cancer. All the other stuff people say about the vaccine, immaterial. Do you want to get cancer or not? If you don't want to get cancer, then get the human papillomavirus and you're betting you're not going to get cancer from that particular virus. Yeah. I had a um, patient in clinic not too long ago, just a couple of months ago, that um, got diagnosed, unfortunately, with an oral cancer at the back of his tongue and never smoked, right. doesn't drink, which typically that's what we think about. You know, people who get cancers in their head and neck and their mouth and their esophagus, uh, a lot of times we know it's that there's a direct correlation between drinking and smoking history. Um, you're definitely at a higher risk for that. But um, this poor gentleman had never done that before, and so he was like, how did I get this? And I said, it's probably going to end up being HPV-related, right. but we won't know until they get the biopsies and run all the tests. And, and sure enough, it, it was, unfortunately. So, um, like he said, it's happening more and more common, right. causing, you know, we, we pushed so hard for cervical cancer for so long, but now we see that it's actually more head and neck cancer. So it's very important to get your girls and your boys vaccinated right. against it because a lot of people just think of it as a girl vaccine because of the relationship to cervical cancer that we heard about for so long but um, it's very important to get your boys vaccinated as well so and then the um, meningitis vaccine that's the other optional one at, at, the, at that yeah. age too and the reason for that meningitis is very uncommon we're Thankfully. talking <laughs> yeah we're talking maybe about five to ten cases in mississippi but we have three million people almost per year but if you look at meningitis, which again is infection of the brain with this meningococcus, it tends to occur in adolescence. It occurs in the very young, and it occurs in the older population, but it also tends to occur for the most part in adolescence, your teen years, and your early college years. And that's why it's a good idea to get the meningococcal. There are two of them. And you could discuss it with your doc. It'd be a lot easier than trying to talk about it over the uh, radio here. But you want to get that, particularly for your adolescents, because you're protecting them in the highest risk period. And don't forget, we're not talking about thousands of kids. We're talking about a few kids. But if you're one of those few, that's 100% risk. Mm -hmm. And again, you don't want your kid to get brain damaged from meningitis when there's this vaccine, which is this puny little shot you could just give them in the arm, end of story. Um, so again, something to keep in mind and wind up talking to your doc about uh, when you go in for your Tdap or go to the pharmacy, it'll be the same thing. Yeah. And there are some people who we recommend that meningitis vaccine for, too, um, if you have risk for catching a severe right. infection. So um, if for some reason you've ever had your spleen removed or there's some immunodeficiencies or those types of things that we're going to recommend you get that, too. Um, so you may hear your doctor bring that up because there are certain people who are going to be more at risk for that as well. I mean, the military, you go in the military, you have to get a meningococcal mm -hmm. vaccine. And again, where we see it um, is in colleges. And years ago, we had an outbreak, and I don't remember which college it was, for meningitis B. 
and we only had a few cases, and it was easily controlled. But the point was, there is a vaccine that could prevent that. But there are colleges throughout the country which have outbreaks, and a lot of colleges require the meningococcal vaccine. So if your child's going to go to college, keep in mind they may be required to get these vaccines for college, even though we didn't require that for junior high or for high school. Right. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We have been talking today about vaccines and what your kids are going to need getting ready for back to school. And so we kind of went through, you know, the nuts and bolts of everything of like which ones you need and um, how many of those doses that you need and why we're doing those. So like, you know, what kind of infections we're preventing. Now I kind of wanted to answer just some common questions that we get as pediatricians when we have some people who may be hesitant to give vaccines to their children. Um, So tell us a little bit about why we give vaccines. I mean, we know obviously we don't want our children to get sick from it, but we're also protecting other people as well, um, which we kind of talked about a lot with the COVID vaccine. Um, But now let's talk, let's focus on uh, some of these other these um, kindergarten shots and things like that. So can you tell us about herd immunity and why it's so important for our kids to be vaccinated? Yeah, let me go all the way back to 1905. And what came came up then was smallpox. And the question was, smallpox would spread throughout schools and classes just willy-nilly. I mean, all over the place. And there were many, many deaths. And... One school, and I think it was in Massachusetts, decided or the state decided to require the smallpox vaccine for anybody going to school because it was known that if you had a lot of people with the smallpox vaccine who already had the vaccine, um, they didn't get the infection and they didn't spread it to anybody else. So this idea came up of if we vaccinate a lot of people and some some people don't respond as well as others, if everybody's vaccinated, then the herd is protected. And the chance of somebody coming in and having smallpox who was unvaccinated and then spreading it to everybody else, which would happen if they weren't vaccinated, didn't happen. So the Supreme Court decided that the smallpox vaccine, which was a safe vaccine, was very protective. And not only did it protect the person who, ha- who uh, was vaccinated, but protected other people around them just in case somebody got in who wasn't vaccinated. And that's what they call the herd immunity. And people have heard this term. Well, basically, that's what we're doing with these vaccines is we're protecting everybody. And, you know, there are going to be instances. For example, if your child's in school and there's a child in there with leukemia, okay, and they're being treated and they look fine and they feel fine, they're getting their leukemia treatment, um, but they don't have vaccines. They lost their vaccine protection, well, it's safe for them to go to school because everybody in the school is vaccinated. And again, what you're doing is not only you're protecting your child, but you're protecting other people around them because you prevent the spread of infection because if a case does get in and the people are vaccinated, it's not going to go anywhere. 
And that's what this concept with herd immunity. And the vaccines that we use in the school system are exactly that. It's not only protecting your child, but in fact, if something happens and somebody gets it and gets in the classroom, it's not going anywhere. You know, in the old days, um, if you had an outbreak in a classroom and people weren't vaccinated, you had to send everybody home. And in fact, um, fortunately, we don't see that today because almost everybody is vaccinated. Again, there are a few that are not. Somebody with leukemia. And I was at St. Jude before I came down to UMC and saw all these kids with leukemia and these other cancers. And they could go to school because they would go to a school in which all the kids were vaccinated and it was safe for them and they weren't going to pick up any diseases. Right. Yeah, I, I think about that all the time when I see some of our children who have like heart conditions right. and things like that, that, you know, even if they are vaccinated, they still could potentially, you know, get the illness. And and then if you think about like the flu, you know, if a, when you have flu outbreaks at school, like there's no way to control them. You know what right. I mean? Like I, I can remember one year and I went to a small school, but um, it was such a bad flu outbreak that they had to close the school for like two days. They closed it for like a Thursday and Friday and into the weekend so they could do like big deep cleaning um, because they could not I mean it was just everybody was out of school for the flu so I mean you see how quickly these infections and these viruses can spread um, you know if you have a school age kid or grandchild you've you've seen it uh, it spreads like wildfire so think about these severe illnesses that cause you know permanent right. long damage to our children so it's so important to to make sure we do that well, let's, let's ask a few other questions about vaccine safety. So are there a lot of people are always worried about all that other stuff that's in vaccines? You know, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that's changed again over time. I mean, the vaccines that we have today and today being the last decade or so are much, I don't want to use the word cleaner, but they've taken out a lot of preservatives um, They've changed and cleaned up the antigens that make the vaccine. I mean, when you take a whooping cough, you don't give the person the whole pertussis or whooping cough organism. You take out some proteins from that and you use that because that stimulates your immunity and that's safer. And over the years, particularly the DTA, the DTP, uh, which became the DTAP, became safer um, and so we know that all these vaccines we use now are, quote, safer, cleaner, have less preservatives. And even the preservatives they had in them, they were found to be safe, but they could take them out. If you don't need it, just take it out. And that's what they do in many of these vaccines. Um, something like the measles, mumps, and rubella, which is a live virus. You can't put a preservative into it because it would kill it. So they don't even have anything in the first place. Um, and we also know that you can give these vaccines in combinations. Um, you can give three or four different shots. Yes, you may get a little more redness um, from one shot, but you, I mean, you don't give them in the same place. You rotate arms or you rotate uh, the different thighs or in the leg or wherever. Um, you may see a little more fever, but it doesn't have any major 
change in reactions whether you get one, two, or three shots on the same day. Again, you may get a little more redness in one shot, you may get a little more fever, but in fact, nothing catastrophic occurs when you give combination vaccines. Yeah, yeah and I've had a lot of patients question about, um, ask questions about you know, giving them multiple ones at one time. And um, I remember one of our immunologists, one of my friends who is an allergy immunology doctor. So immunology is the is the study of essentially like, you know, creating antibodies and that type of thing, how your immune system fights off infections. And um, anyway, he had a great point, which I still remember him talking about it is, you know, you think about these vaccines and, yeah, you're so worried about them getting five shots at one time or three shots at one time. Um, But really, when you think about what our kids encounter on a day-to-day basis for their little immune systems, it is nothing in comparison to that. So if you, like, right now, my little girl's crawling everywhere. So she is like, I mean, and then she puts her hands in her mouth and she touches everything. You know, she's in that stage where everything goes to the mouth. So when I think about what all she's exposed to and what her little immune system is experiencing right now and creating all these, you know, new ways to protect her from future viruses and infections it's honestly nothing compared i mean like it was like i can't remember the exact so i don't want to say but it was like tens of thousands of difference in comparison with the little bitty antigens that you get from a vaccine versus what your child gets um every day so you know when you think about it in the big picture of things yeah they're actually very safe you know even though they are getting multiple ones at a time uh, like you said you know we try to space them out in different spots so you don't get such a local reaction but really it's not overwhelming the immune system it's nothing that what a kid doesn't experience on an everyday basis when you actually think about it and break it down. So true. Yeah. I wish I needed to text him and figure out what the actual numbers were because I can't remember. But, I mean, it was something, like, astronomically different, like tens of thousands of the antigens compared. So Um, so during the break, actually, Liz came in here and asked us a question, which I thought was a a good one, and so I wanted to bring it up. Um, But she asked about the chickenpox vaccine, and if her kids didn't get the chickenpox vaccine, um, but they did have the chickenpox, you know, are they protected? And then she mentioned about pregnant women, um, and do you vaccinate for, you know, because it can be very um, terrible for the baby if the mom was to contract uh, varicella or chickenpox during pregnancy. So it is a live vaccine, so we cannot give it when you're pregnant. Um, but most of the OBGYNs check titers and to see if you have protection against varicella before um, when you're pregnant uh, so that they can know for sure that if you are potentially exposed, you know, what to look out for with the baby. Um, we don't routinely check, though, titers. Right. Um, that's what we were talking about during the break. Uh, if you're in the medical field, which I feel here recently we've done um, – I've had to do with several physicals for kids, or not kids, I guess, uh, young adults, uh, young 20-year-olds who are going to be starting, like, medical school and um, some that are going to, like, PT school, PA school, nursing school, that type of thing, who like to have that need their titers checked. So they need to get it checked. So if you're working in the medical field, um, you probably are going to have your titers checked to see if you have been protected, if you are protected against varicella or chickenpox. Um, But just routine, we don't check that um so that is just something to think about if you know you're going to be in that field it it may be worthwhile we can check the titers 
can't guarantee it'll be covered by your insurance, but (laughs) but we can check them. And I I don't think it's like too terribly expensive or anything. So um, we have got a caller on the line. So we will go to Tom. Hey, good morning, Tom. Hey, listen, I'm a physician. I'm driving through Mississippi, and I uh, find your program very informative. And thank you thank for you. putting that on. And very, very, very good. And uh, mine's a medical student. Uh, my, my question for both of you is, do you recommend the HPV vaccine for older adults? Well, you know, what they have done now is they've increased the age in, uh, not association, but in discussion with your physician, 27 to 45. And um, there's no reason not to. It's safe. Uh, How much protection will you get? Depends upon how many infections you've had in the past. But it's one of those things if, and I don't know what the, where the cost factor comes in, in terms of safety, in terms of benefit, yeah, it will give you benefit against the strains uh, that you haven't had that are in the vaccine. So, yeah, why not? Again, uh, I don't know, again, I'm not insurance, if insurance covers it, but if you want to get it, fine. If you don't want to get it, that's fine, too. But again, most of your exposure to HPV is in the teens and in the 20s. But if you're 35 and you said, well, I want to get it, sure, go ahead and get it. It's not going to hurt you. It can only be a benefit or maybe nothing. But there's no downside to it. Um, so... If that's what you want to do? Sure, go ahead and get it. Yeah, but but it is technically only up to 45. So right. I don't know. I think insurance should cover it up until that age. But after that, I don't know that they could cover right. it. Uh, well, I'm 70 years old. I have a friend, a lifelong friend, who just died from HPV carcinoma, just as you mentioned, in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Now, he was immunocompromised with CLL. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a terrible, terrible treatment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not easy. Yeah. How old was he? Uh, my same age. Uh, that's, we're, I guess, about 75. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing about HPV is it it's kind of like the chickenpox yeah. virus. It it stays in your system. Right. Um, a lot of times our body can clear it, but there are certain strands that may hang around. And so you may not see the cancers until later on in right. life. I mean, they can hang around for years and you never know it, have no symptoms, no nothing. And then all of a sudden begin to make the, see the changes that it occurs. Again, a 70-year-old is not very common, except with mouth cancers. And that's getting to be of concern. They tend to occur in older people. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for calling. What, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so the older uh, HPV cancers in mouth, most of those now are older, say 50 plus, 60 plus? I don't know about 60 plus, but we're seeing more in the 40s and in the 50s than we used to see in the past. And, you know, again, people are living longer. So that's another thing. Just in general, the population survives longer. There are going to be more 40- and 50-year-olds surviving, you know, who've been infected with HPV and now get the cancer. Yeah. 
I feel like most of the ones I've seen have been in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. So it would be okay if somebody says, one of my patients says, should I get, I'm 65, should I get that, that will that keep me from getting HPV? Well, at that point, I mean, like we said, most of the exposures are happening when you're younger. Right. So I don't, it's not, I don't think it retroactively, it's more for preventative. So once you've been exposed, you've been exposed. Yeah, somebody in their 60s, that probably wouldn't benefit them. Right. You know, it's not going to be of great benefit to the 45-year-old. But if a 45-year-old is very active and is worried about it, sure, go ahead and get it. But do it by the time you're 45, because when you're 50 or 55, you can't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tom, though, for calling, because I feel like that is a a great topic because the HPV is one that I don't know why, but so many people have just so many hesitancies about it. But it really is such a great vaccine that can prevent cancer. Always start it with, you know, if I told you I had a vaccine that could prevent cancer, don't you want it? You know, obviously, yes. So um, so thanks for calling. Um, We've got just like a couple of minutes left. So I think we have to, you know, mention that the health department has um come up with a plan since we have the religious exemption now um in mississippi so that started just what two weeks ago i think yeah january uh, not july 15th yeah so um so that is there and you have to go through the health department if you want to apply for religious exemption and um, there's certain forms that you have to fill out you have to go up to the health department and and watch a video and and you still have to go through the whole process and be approved before you can just – you just can't say until the school um, that you're not getting your children vaccinated because of religious exemptions. And you have to do each child. And right. each child has to have their own form filled out. And what I would suggest, if you have multiple children and you're going to do this, is to call and get all the kids in the same day to the health department so you only watch the video once. If you do one kid a day and you have three kids, you got to sit there and watch the video and go through all this stuff the same. But if you have all the kids done the same day, um, and you can do that by calling the number and they will do that. And this is as long as the child is in school and you get a form. If you lose the form, you have to go down to the health department to figure out how to get get that form. But because if you change schools... You got to show it to every school um, that you have this religious exemption. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Feldman. We appreciate oh, it. And always glad to do it. Yeah, and thank you all for listening, and thanks to our callers. I think it's been a good show. And if there was something that you had a question about that we talked about, you can always send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org, and we'll be happy to get back to you. I hope everybody has a great and safe return back to school. Um, if you've already started back, I know some started back today, and a lot are starting back next week, but I, we hope all our kids have a great back to school. Uh, This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Abram Nanny. I'm Dr. uh, Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.